everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers podcast. What were the roots of the rational society that we have come to know so well today? Well, it turns out that it was the Enlightenment era that is responsible for a lot of this. Thinkers of the Enlightenment laid the groundwork for these rational, skeptical ideas that we find in our culture, and they played a pivotal role in initiating a lot of the societal progress that continues to this day. This is the first part of a two-part series on the Enlightenment. First part is today, second part will be next Monday. Um, and we're going to talk about what the Enlightenment is, kind of the origins of it we're going to talk about in the in this episode. And we're going to start to talk about the some of the ideas that were found in the Enlightenment today. And then next week, we're going to finish off with the rest of the ideas that were found in the Enlightenment. And we're going to conclude with how the Enlightenment kind of ended in a way. And it, it never really truly ended because its ideas still persist to this day. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, later. So the sources of this episode were a couple articles, one uh, Bristow Enlightenment from Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, and then Maine uh, and Peters from History of Europe in Britannica. So the Enlightenment, what is the Enlightenment? First of all, generally, it is known as the European intellectual movement of the 17th and 18th centuries in which ideas concerning God, reason, nature, and humanity were synthesized into a worldview. And this gained a lot of uh, prominence in the West, especially in Europe. And it instigated revolutionary developments in art, philosophy, and politics. Central to Enlightenment thought were the use of celebration of reason. We're going to hear a lot about this idea of reason, applying reason to a lot of different domains. That's what they were doing in the Enlightenment. And also central to Enlightenment thought was the power by which humans um, could understand the universe for themselves and improve their own condition. Taking, you wielding this, this power of reason and applying it to different domains to improve life of humans in general. Enlightenment thinkers in Britain, uh, in France, and also throughout Europe, they questioned traditional authority and embraced the notion that humanity could be improved through rational change. Before this, though, there was a lot of dogma and dogmatic ideas about, um, and there was a lot of authority assigned to uh, religious doctrines and ideas that this is the way that we must live. There's really no other way. But in the Enlightenment, thinkers started to um, embrace kind of a more rational approach to things. And looking at things, what we'll, you'll see is looking at things using our own senses. And for instance, Newton, his discoveries um, and his theory of, of gravitational motion is one of the things that propelled the Enlightenment. Because this is the idea that we can make these discoveries um, for ourselves almost. Um, the Enlightenment produced numerous books, essays, and inventions, as well as scientific discoveries, as I mentioned with Newton, uh, laws and, and revolutions as well. 
the American and the French revolutions were actually directly inspired by the Enlightenment ideals. And these revolutions marked the peak of its influence, but also the beginning of its decline. Although the Enlightenment brought in these revolutions in chain, because people wanted to change the way society operated, it also led to its own downfall almost because there was such a radical shift. They didn't even know what to do after that in a newly secular reign. And and you'll find later that in the French Revolution, the reign of terror occurred where they, the rulers, the new uh, secular rule, they turned to terror and terrorizing the, the people. So the rule was no better than it was before. So it did initiate these revolutions, but... Um, they almost handcuffed themselves and they realized, oh, wait a minute, we don't even know if this new way is a, is a better way to govern. Um, there was really, and you hear, you hear me already talking about how it was occurring in France, occurring the French Revolution and the American Revolution. There was no single unified enlightenment where everyone said, okay, we're in the enlightenment what are we going to do now or, or something like that? Instead, you could speak of uh, the French Enlightenment. You could say the Scottish Enlightenment, the English, the German, the Swiss, the American. Um, Enlightenment thinkers all had different approaches. Locke differed from Hume. Rousseau differed from Voltaire. Jefferson from Frederick the Great. Their differences and disagreements, though, emerged out of still some kind of a common uh, theme of rational questioning and belief in progress through dialogue. So even though these thinkers differed in their ideas, they all wanted to apply rationality to what they were doing and really question the nature of all sorts of different things. Uh, and we're going to talk uh, a little bit later about these types of things that they were questioning and, and ideas that were revolutionary that came from these great philosophers. What's the origin of all of this, first of all? So you could say that the Enlightenment occurred, as I kind of touched on, between the English Revolution of, of 1688 and the French Revolution of 1789. So there's that 100-year span kind of but you, it could also be traced even before that to there in, even in the Renaissance era, there was some humanism. Um, and this encouraged scholarly interest in classical texts and values. So they were all, you're, we're always building on something. These ideas don't just come out of nowhere. They were building on some of the, um, progressive ideals of the Renaissance and, and maybe even we're building on ideas that existed before this. You look at ancient Greece, the powers and uses of reason actually were not first explored in the Enlightenment. They were first explored by the philosophers of ancient Greece. The Romans, they then adapted and actually preserved much of Greek culture and notably including the ideals of, of a rational natural order and natural law. So the this is the origin, really, the first documented origin of um, using reason and applying reason to different situations is in Greece. That's the first time it was written down. And then the Romans preserved this, and then the Renaissance, they built on it a little bit, and then the Enlightenment, it really burgeoned a lot. The start of the Enlightenment itself, then, now we get to, 
people say it's it's in the 1680s in England where in a span of three years there were major things happening. So Isaac Newton published his Principia Mathematica in 1686 and then right after this John Locke published his legendary essay concerning human understanding in 1689. These two works provided the the toolkit really for major advances in the enlightenment. Um, the success of Newton in particular, let's look at that. So what, what was the influence of, of Newton? Well, he captured uh, in a few mathematical equations, the laws that govern the motions of uh, the very planets in our solar system. And this gave a great impetus to a growing faith in in the human ability to attain knowledge and the ability of scientific discoveries to be able to be made rather than some kind of an order that we will never understand. Newton was able to actually break this down so incredibly. No one really understands how he was able to do this fully and what resulted in such a brilliant, such a brilliant series of discoveries. But he initiated this idea that humans have a capacity to gain some kind of knowledge. At the same time, the idea of the universe as a mechanism governed by a few simple and discoverable laws had a subversive effect on the concepts of a personal God and some kind of a salvation that's associated with Christianity. So this the fact that Newton was able to discover this, this actually undermined some of the ideas that were totally governed by um, like a supreme being or something that we'll never truly understand. Newton showed that we can at least grasp some type of uh, understanding of our, our reality that we're living in. Let's continue talking about these, the impact of scientific discoveries in initiating the Enlightenment era. So unsettling scientific views even before Newton's, we're starting to gain hold here. So we look at the astronomy of Copernicus and Galileo, where it discovered a heliocentric perspective where the sun is in the center of the solar system, not the earth. Before this, it, they thought the earth was in the center of the universe and the Catholic church wanted to undermine any discoveries that would show otherwise. But scientists started to discover, I guess you couldn't even really call them scientists back then, but for our purposes, they, they were scientists. And these scientists discovered that, no, the sun is in the center of the solar system. And these types of things um, started to shake the relationship everyone had to their religious beliefs almost and, and the traditional scheme of nature that, that we were living in. Um, Fossils also were found in the south uh, central region of France, and this conflicted with the time scheme in the Old Testament. So people were starting to discover these dinosaur fossils, and um, or not dinosaur. They didn't know <laughs> they didn't know what these were, but they were discovering fossils, and they were conflicting with the the time scheme that was shown in the Old Testament, where humans. Uh, apparently lived with dinosaurs and whatnot. So scientists were starting to make discoveries without God being the main factor in their calculations where um, every single thing that they discovered, it had to go with 
what was said in the Bible. Um, and this is the beginning of the tendency of science towards an independence and a separation from, from the church or from, uh, from these types of things, uh, and, and presuppositions and theological doctrines. Um, let's continue with this idea of skepticism and rationalism in the enlightenment that, um, science played a role in, in creating. So, Descartes is really responsible for initiating this rational and skeptical approach to, to all domains. He was a mathematician, but also a philosopher at the same time. And he wanted to almost apply his ideas that he was developing through his mathematical expertise to, um, to kind of general concepts. So Descartes sought to establish the sciences on a firm foundation he created something called the method of doubt where an investigator should doubt any proposition that can possibly be doubted all according to Descartes is uncertain until it's established by reasoning. And this might seem a little bit simple, uh, or even trite to us today. But back then Descartes was the first to really initiate these ideas of rationalism of, um, let's, consider what we're, we're thinking about. Let's uh, doubt things that can be doubted. Let's just not accept things for what they are. Let's apply some rationality here. Given the critical attitude of the Enlightenment towards doctrines regarded as well-founded, it's not surprising that the Enlightenment thinkers employ skepticism to attack traditional dogmas. And that's what uh, Descartes was also applying in his, his book, Meditations on First Philosophy in 1641. Um, Descartes in this book sought to search out principles known with certainty, which may serve as a secure foundation for a new system of knowledge. So Descartes was really breaking down these epistemological issues of uh, on the, the nature of knowledge and should, how we have to be skeptical about certain things, how we have to, um, what foundation are we going to build our ideas on? We have to be rational about certain things. Let's just not accept anything for what it is or because it's said in the Bible or it's said in this way in this ancient text. Let's consider what we're dealing with here. This skeptical, critical attitude underlies the tension in this age. While it is common to conceive of the Enlightenment as um, supplanting the authority of tradition and religious dogma, the Enlightenment is actually a crisis of uh, being able to, to assign authority to any belief at all. It's not just about breaking down the previous beliefs or the, uh, or anything like this. It's about wondering the nature of belief itself and, and critiquing every belief that you may have at all. It's not about going against one specific belief and, and supplanting this traditional authority. It's questioning the nature of belief itself. And this kind of brings us to the empiricism of the enlightenment of, um, in philosophy, empiricism is a theory that states that knowledge uh, comes only from sensory experience. And we've kind of touched on this with the, the scientific discoveries in the Enlightenment, where um, 
there was we're starting in the enlightenment now to move towards what is real is what comes from sensory experience rather than just what comes from mystical things that no one will ever know it's if we can uh sense it if uh, and like newton did and he was able to break down these gravitational laws then that is what more of what's rational and what's real if the founder of the rationalist and skeptical strain of the enlightenment is descartes as we just talked about then the founder of the empiricist strain is francis bacon he was a little bit uh i believe after descartes let me yeah, I'm not sure. You guys are going to have to <laughs> double check me on that one. Uh, but Bacon was 1561 to 1626. So, so he was before Descartes because he, he actually, yes, because he was in the Renaissance. So Bacon, what he did was he greatly influenced enlightenment thinkers by implementing his empirical approach to sciences. He called for something of a new science that was to be based on organized and collaborative experiments with systematic recording of results. His ideas were that general laws could be established only when research had produced enough data. So these laws must be tried and must be proved by further experiments. And this can lead to the accumulation of knowledge. And how familiar does this sound to any of you guys who are involved in the sciences where Bacon really initiated science? He basically started science because, or a new science, but before that it wasn't really science until Bacon started with these new principles because he wanted to create these experiments where um, there's all these different experimenters who uh, laws can only be established if research produces data. And again, these may sound uh, very simple today, but th this didn't, these ideas didn't exist before Bacon, really. So he called for this experimental approach. He even, I don't know if he coined the term, but it's, 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 um, often attributed to Bacon, the phrase knowledge is power, the idea that mankind can advance as it develops a mastery over uh, nature. And as you, yeah, the idea that you can accumulate knowledge and you can uh, advance, society can advance in whole through this accumulation of knowledge. So he really initiated these ideas about thinking about knowledge and um that's epistemology the 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 study of knowledge itself kind of and thinking about knowledge and figuring out what knowledge is what does it mean for there to be um what does it mean for there to be uh solid knowledge and and what does it mean for there to be a solid foundation of knowledge to rest on? And he, you can see how he, he influenced Descartes because now by the time of Descartes in the Enlightenment, he's thinking about um, knowledge itself and he's thinking about uh, what, is, what is belief? What is knowledge? Is, is this dogma or is this uh, a firm foundation of knowledge? Is this, um, is this rational? Let me be skeptical about this. So Bacon started this with his call for a new science. We are going to, we're not quite going to close with this, but we're going to talk about a couple more things um, 
and key ideas in the Enlightenment. And, and there were a lot of ideas about political theory in the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment era is marked by the three political revolutions, which lay the basis for democracies, really. It was the English Revolution that we've talked about that kind of started the Enlightenment, the American Revolution, and the French Revolution to close out the Enlightenment. These came about with the ideas that were generated during the Enlightenment, these ideas on political theory. Enlightenment philosophers found that the existing social and political orders did not withstand critical scrutiny. Existing political and social authority to them was shrouded in religious myth and mystery founded on obscure traditions. So look at the way, look how iconoclastic the ideas of the Enlightenment are. They're really starting to break down what has existed seemingly forever and actually question for the first time, what are we following in our politics? How is our society built? Is this um, we got to look at this with some more scrutiny. Um, now, I've painted up more of a positive picture so far of the Enlightenment, but for all the enduring accomplishments of the Enlightenment's philosophies, it's not clear still to this day that human reason alone, this is the key guys, that human reason alone provides powerful, uh, proves powerful enough to put a concrete authoritative ideal in place of what it was critiquing against. So you look at the French Revolution, it overthrew uh, the government that was there, but then you had almost even worse outcomes for the people. After all these great ideas of the Enlightenment, then you've got the reign of terror where things are going even worse for the French population. So they critiqued the institutions very well in the Enlightenment, and they pointed out some flaws, but just secular uh, reign alone and, and reign simply based on uh, human ideals without any, uh, without God in the mix, without any of that, it didn't really prove to work immediately. And there's still debate as, to whether this actually can work. This debate is starting to not really become a debate as much anymore as church and state are, are starting to become more and more separated. But initially there was a there was there were issues with with this and these enlightenment ideals actually being applied. Yeah, they sound great in theory and you can critique the institutions all you want, but do they actually work? They didn't work initially. This is a quote straight from Bristow's article. He put it uh, incredibly. He says this, um, or hopefully it's not a she. <laughs> Let's see. No, William Bristow. Okay, so so Bristow says says this. He says, and he's this is him talking about how the Enlightenment, for as as much as it was able to critique the old institutions, it wasn't really able to. Uh, succeed when you applied its principles initially. He says, reason shows its power more convincingly in criticizing authorities than in establishing them. The limits of human reason are vividly illustrated by the course of the French Revolution. The ideals of the French Revolution are the Enlightenment ideals of individual freedom and equality. But 
as the revolutionaries attempt to devise rational, secular institutions to put in place of those they have violently, violently overthrown, eventually they resort to violence and terror in order to gain control and govern the people. The devolution of the French Revolution into the reign of terror is perceived by many as providing the emptiness and hypocrisy of Enlightenment reason and is one of the main factors which account for the end of the Enlightenment as a historical period. So, look at the way he puts it. He says, the Enlightenment ideals, they were great for criticizing um, the authorities, but were not great in establishing a new authority. Um, you look at the reign of terror that occurred, and, and this is perceived by many as the hypocrisy of the Enlightenment. And this started to result in the, the end of the Enlightenment era and all of these ideas because people started to, um, or perhaps not, but overall it was the idea that how talk is cheap. You can f philosophize about it all you want. You can uh, critique the authorities all you want. But if, if your new authority isn't going to work, What's the benefit of the Enlightenment? Um, for the final thing today, we're going to talk about economic freedom and the ideas um, Enlightenment thinkers had, had on that. And it's principally Adam Smith. Economic freedom reflects the highly valued individual freedom of the period. So you look at the themes of um, wanting to question, take matters into your own hands and science and um, be rational, be skeptical. And, and these kind of ideas about the individual and thinking for yourself kind of resulted in ideas about economic freedom too. Adam Smith, he was the one who developed this, a prominent Scottish, uh, member of the Scottish Enlightenment. He describes in his Wealth of Nations in 1776, so near the end of the Enlightenment, some of the laws of a civil society. And he, by doing this, contributes significantly to the founding of economics. He, people, he essentially invented economics as it's now known. He's one of the many voices in the Enlightenment who advocated for free trade and for minimal government regulation of markets. Um, he, he brought up the idea of the trading house floor, where people of various nationalities, languages, cultures, and religions come together and trade, each in pursuit of his or her own self-interest, but still, by doing this, supply the wants of their nations. Um, and then these nations, they want a peaceful, rational order. And by, by this free trade opening up of people from various nationalities, languages, cultures, it it is. It has salutary effects. Um, it creates peace. It creates a rational order. And these ideals of Smith sought to replace the violent strife that characterized Europe at this time, or right before Smith's time. So, these are some of the ideas of the Enlightenment we have talked about. Kind of, and, and what hopefully the takeaway is that it was the idea that people started to. Pro progress started to come in um, once people started to think for themselves, think critically, think rationally, think skeptically, um, have a little more individual freedom. And this idea of the individual freedom, look how it played out in Smith's political theory of um, 
yeah, putting matters in, into your own hands, free trade, reduced uh, regulations um, of, of the markets, minimal government regulation, and and the value of the individual. And this really is what created a lot of progress in in our world. And we're going to continue talking about this next week. For now, 30-minute mark has just about been reached. So our next 30 minutes uh, is going to be continuing this Enlightenment talk, continuing to talk about a little more of the main ideas of the Enlightenment. We haven't finished them all yet. There were ideas about ethical theory. Uh, We're going to talk more about the ideas of Enlightenment thinkers on religion. We're going to talk about John Locke. You can't talk about the Enlightenment without talking about John Locke. We're going to talk about his influence. Uh, We're also going to point out some holes in the Enlightenment and some of the hypocrisy of the Enlightenment that we've kind of touched on with how they're so good at criticizing authority, but when you actually try to establish a new authority with these secular principles, it doesn't work so well. We're going to talk about some critique, some possible holes in the Enlightenment, and how the Enlightenment came to an end. But that's all for next week. And for this week, thank you guys for listening. Some of you guys listen in every week, no matter what we're talking about. It's in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics and Quite a few of you guys are uh, tuned in no matter what the topic. I can't thank you guys enough for listening uh, to this episode. And to Even if you're just listening to this episode and you've never listened before, thank you for listening to this episode regardless. Um, we're growing our community through word of mouth, you guys. So if you liked this episode or if you like the podcast, just let one or two people know about it uh, who could also be interested in philosophy or ideas of the Enlightenment. You can also go ahead and rate, like, comment, subscribe, follow, do all of that stuff uh, so we can be discovered more easily by others. But whatever you guys do to support listening and watching is always plenty, you guys. Thank you for tuning into the Insightful Thinkers Podcast, everybody. We will be back next Monday, as always, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody.